Before we get to today's episode of We Know You Have Sand, Illinois, a quick word on 4th and Kirby. 4th and Kirby, we wear their shirts. We love their shirts. For vintage-inspired, high-quality, and well-designed University of Illinois apparel, 4th and Kirby is your place. Their online store will make you feel nostalgic for campus with original designs and designs inspired by artifacts of the past. These guys are alumni putting their skills. They honed at the University of Illinois to work. They're getting back to the Illini community with some of the best-looking Illini shirts you'll ever see. Make sure to check out 4th and Kirby at 4thandkirby.com. That's 4th, F-O-U-R-T-H, and Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y.com. And now, on to the show. Sand Illinois podcast. I'm Brandon Burkhead here again with Steve Thumpasaurus Braun on the day after the spring football game to discuss the spring football game, of course, but also some of the new recruiting around Illinois football. Man, a lot of great news for Illinois, a lot of noise around the program currently. And we'll end today with a little bit of the sad news with Brad Underwood's investigation. Well, I wouldn't say sad, but just more serious matters. But before we get into all that, how are we doing today, Steve? Uh, not too bad. It's been... Uh, my, my, my lawn's a swamp again. Your so life is now preparing for a wedding, and that's it. <laughs> well, it's in three weeks, so I'm... Just so you know, I'm not going to be on the podcast three weeks from now. All right. <laughs> yep, we're doing that thing. Like uh, I pointed this out on Twitter recently. I don't even remember when we played Oakland basketball, and uh, they were just shooting with a women's ball for the first few minutes uh, until DJ Richardson realized it, and then um, he went and said to the you know to the ref like I don't know what's going on with this ball, but you just can't shoot it or something like that. And then they they figured out what was going on, but in the meantime crowd had no idea what was happening just people were just looking at the ball for about like three minutes so just started (laughs) chanting awkward silence it was it was tremendous anyway that's what we just did then if i had a if i had a recording of that awkward silence chant uh i would insist that you drop it there but i don't so alas here we are Anyways, we're here again early morning on Sunday because that's the only time that old man Steve Braun can now record podcasts. But other than that, it's a great sports weekend, very busy. Illinois, of course, at the spring game, we're heading into the NBA playoffs. NHL playoffs are now into full swing as well. My St. Louis Blues are up 2-0 now against the Winnipeg Jets. Steve, I'm starting to like believe in one of my teams. I don't know what that emotion's like called. But I think it begins with an H. It's four letters long, but I don't know. I'm feeling great about one of my snake bitten teams for the first time in a long, 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 long time. Hurl? Yeah. Hack? Uh, hate. <laughs> yes, it's hate. <laughs> I think that's what the word is. Hail. <laughs> Hulu. Hump. <laughs> but we also had the Masters finishing up here today, which we'll try to get this podcast done quickly so I can get back to watching Tiger Woods try to finally complete 
his first major win, and I don't know how long bef- ever post since the <laughs> breakdown of Tiger Woods, drunk driving in his SUV on Xanax and whatever else he was, the greatest mugshot of all time. Uh, outside of George Clinton's, of course. Uh, yeah, so I'm the old man, and you got to get back to your golf. Come on. Hey, man, that's just how it works. I've been watching golf for a long time. Then you've been an old man for a long time. Golf's awesome. It's the most fun TV sport. It really is. Just constant going back to action, high drama, high stakes. It's amazing. But anyways, yesterday I was going to watch the spring football game, but decided to watch golf. Then I decided to rewatch it back on BTN to go, which you can still watch today if you haven't seen it yet, as long as it keeps up on BTN to go. Unfortunately, the feed that you are given on BTN to go is the scoreboard feed from Memorial Stadium. It was not a television broadcast with multi- with uh, you know a television style of showing the play in the correct in the TV sort of formation the entire time. So you can see what's happening. No announcers, nothing like that. So a lot of the times the plays would just jump in. You'd be able to see the full depth of the field halfway through the play. So a lot of times it was hard for me to tell what the formation was, what the beginning of the play even looked like for the first few seconds. So with that in mind, I didn't have as great of a view as a lot of people, but I was able to see a lot of, things and pause and rewind and look at a lot of different things and man all I can say is Rotsmith's going to be really angry about how that offense performed in that game on both the first string and second string of course the first string defense I think they were the Buckus team they were blue they win this game 24 to 10 did you say they win this game they win this game Steve and I'm not sure I didn't have a score on the scoreboard feed, of course. Our time, our downs, or anything. I had no idea what was really happening. All I could really see were plays intermittently sprung out throughout me. And able to see, you know, in a way it actually is great because you could focus on specific little types of plays, specific little things that were happening. You just focus on the execution of a play rather than the situation, normal things you think about in a football game. You can almost watch it as you were just watching a practice. And really quick, before we get more into it, I'm going to set a timer here for 10 minutes, and we are going to go and talk about the spring football game and just the things that stood out to me. So very few people there at the game again. Spring football is just not a thing for Illinois fans. The few that go out there, you're like, you are the real diehards. God bless you. But another just very, 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 very small crowd, even though it was perfect weather for it, but... Hey, what, there's only what, Steve, like 10 schools this really works at spring football? Like, okay, besides the SEC, there's like five. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, okay, somebody just wrote up a a spring ball preview at, you know, for Nebraska at Off Tackle Empire, and we've been writing spring game previews. Mine was, mine was fairly sarcastic, but still, you know, the Purdue one, like, oh, 200 hits, and mine was like 150. Northwestern is like, yeah, 200. And the Nebraska one is like 5,000 hits. It's like, oh, Nebraska spring football. So, yeah, I mean, Nebraska's one of those places. Penn State's one of those places. If it weren't, for, if it weren't for the whole idea of like, oh, Illinois, of the tradition of having a spring game and the opportunity for the media to come out and interview players and coaches, there's really just not much of a point in actually holding it. But – 
because the tradition, because the media access, it's still held. But anyways, this is the first time under Lloyd Smith we had an actual spring game game. Of course, his first year it was canceled because of the late start to spring football with his March hiring. His second year, we didn't have enough quarterbacks to actually run a spring game. So it was more of a scrimmage. This year's actual game, so that was fun to see actual more situational football. Some of the interesting things I saw, standouts in this game, Quan Martin, he had a great pass breakup early in the game on Caleb Reams. Caleb Reams almost made a spectacular catch in the back of the end zone, but Quan Martin cut up the play, broke it up. He also had a great interception late in the game that I think helped seal to seal the win. So a great Everything you wanted to say from that sophomore, Nate Hobbs also had a pretty good game with a pick six. Only allowed, <coughs> excuse me, Ricky Smalling to have one catch on the whole day. It was just Hobbs versus Smalling the entire time. Kendall Smith was a standout. He actually had four catches on my account, making a few plays. Cam Miller was just looking at him on one specific drive. He had three catches. I think the drive that led to the Griffin Palmer touchdown. And it was one of those things where you're just wondering, why the hell did we switch Kendall Smith to defensive back in the first place? Because <laughs> he looked like he belonged well at wide receiver. I'm not sure if that's he's going to be playing a lot this year, but at least he stood out, and that's nice to see. Yeah, I thought that we were. I thought that we got past that whole switching wide receivers to defensive back, and then wondering why we ever did it. Thing. Remember Steve, Steve Hole? Steve Hole. The wide receivers that we had under Steve Hole that were playing were pretty bad. You have to think at times Steve Hole was just sitting there thinking to himself, it's like, I'm way better than all these guys. Like, why am I sa- Why am I a safety? <laughs> at some point, I wonder if he just walked over and was like, hey, put me in. Like, <laughs> let me show you how it's actually done. But anyways. Bobby Roundtree had another good day. He's clearly just our best defensive player by far. He, no one's close to his level. He really looks like he might be primed for a big, big, big junior leap. I love how he always hustles the defensive lineman. Jakari Norwood had the offensive highlight of the day, a 50-plus yard touchdown on a play that power run to the left, tied into the right, running back also to the right, power to the left, wide open, just running for days. The pulling guard actually didn't have anyone to block because I won't call out the player specifically, but you can watch the play for yourself, but a defensive player on that second string unit just Completely missed his read entirely and left it wide open. But it shows that Shikari Norwood has that breakaway speed. If you give him any sort of room, he can really make you pay. And that we need someone to help take carries in the coming years of Reggie Corman and Dre Brown, of course, as seniors and Mike Epstein, a 2B junior this year. Eventually, we're going to need some of these younger running backs to step up. So that was nice to see. Deli Harding. Deli Harding's a really, really good linebacker within the tackle box and blitzing. I think he actually had a couple sacks potentially, but it was thud tackling for the first string defense and offense. So who knows if they're really sacks, but he was able to wreck a lot of havoc. Something that we didn't see out of Deshaun Phillips last year. So perhaps Deli Harding can provide that, but we'll see how he can do the rest of the linebacking duties. But I was impressed with him. But overall, the offense, the first string offense only scored a field goal early in the game. And then they were shut out for the rest of the time. Oh, my God. Very disappointing. The offensive line was pretty much – the defensive line drank the offensive line's milkshake on the day. 
it was the offensive line was of course Mason Verdi and Lowe, but the defensive line on the their to be fair, was also missing pretty much every weak side defensive end. Mark Mondesier was working with the first string unit at weak side defensive end, and they're missing a few defensive tackles. So it's, both sides were missing a lot of players, but the defensive line handled the offensive line handedly. Receivers, of course, were poor. Running backs, they're fine. I'm not concerned about that at all. I'm not even really concerned about the run blocking. I think the run game, whatever, it's thud tackling. It's really hard to judge. Wide receivers, though, yes, very concerning to not see much plays happen. Uh, quarterbacks, I don't even know. <sighs> Cam Miller was our best quarterback, and it's not close. For on the day, Cam Miller was the best quarterback. Well, I mean... Matt Robinson, kind of... I wanted to see more spin and a little bit more oomph on the throws from Matt Robinson. But regardless, Matt Robinson at times did some okay things, but he was just very inconsistent and just he looks like a guy who needs more time. But he did make a play late in the game where he was running an option. He actually ran in past the line of scrimmage but threw a lateral back to the wide receiver on a screen pass there, which was a perfect encapsulation of what you want to see out of a Rod Smith style of offense, a quarterback who's able to make smart reads like that, and he actually made a good play there. But you want to see that more consistently. We didn't see that enough. MJ Rivers, though, is where I was a little bit more concerned. This is a situation where you want MJ Rivers to really step up. Maybe this is my job. This is my team. He wouldn't really want to see him separate himself, even with Isaiah Williams coming in. You want to see MJ Rivers really take a handle of the job going into the fall camp, at least. And you didn't see it out of him. MJ Rivers... No threw an interception to Nate Hobbs that if you watch on the replay, it's one of those throws where he still, he stared down Ricky Smalling for four or five seconds. And then he threw a ball that had never had a chance to be caught by Ricky Smalling. You, it was one of those throws where you're like, what the hell are you doing? Like that's one of the throws that this was a practice. You pull the quarterback right away to the sideline because it was that poor of a play. And then you, you do whatever you have to do, yell at him, coach him up, do whatever you have to do, because it was that just bad of a throw and a read. And besides, NJ Rivers, just inconsistent with his accuracy, as we saw a bit last year. Running, though, I was actually a little bit more comfortable with him because you kind of forget how big NJ Rivers is and how he, he might be actually be able to break some more tackles than we thought. So that's okay. But on the day, it just none of our quarterbacks were able to do much. The offensive line wasn't giving them much time to do anything. And the receivers weren't there to help either. So all of that equal to a really poor offensive performance. That's not going to leave Rod Smith happy. But on the other hand, the defense, I thought the defense looked as good as you could have expected. You know, defensive line, the defensive tackles looked pretty solid. Calvin Avery made some few play, made a few plays, but Calvin Avery also went down with an injury, of course, with his knee. I don't. Hopefully it's not serious, but he did have to get carted off. Linebackers, the interesting thing is Dawson DeGroote and Delano Ware were working as linebackers, not necessarily as a star linebacker, but a true linebacker. But what they would do is Delano Ware would line up a few yards behind the middle and Sam linebackers and kind of more of a speed side to side, you know, the blast read. It was kind of interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see as that grows more. 
Defense, too, was a little bit more aggressive under Levy, a little bit tighter coverage, a little bit more blitzing. Of course, maybe that's just spring ball, and who knows. When you come down to, like, if we're playing a real game, are we going to run the same sort of defense and more aggressive style that we saw under Levy, or are we going to revert to older tactics? Well, with the quarterbacks, you mentioned, like, yeah, you'd want to see Rivers step up. I don't necessarily even know if it's Rivers. It's somebody. You want to see somebody step up with solid command. Well, if Rivers getting the time last year, he's the – Well, you would have figured it was him. Pitzel in starter. No, I've been saying like I've been I, – I had hoped that somebody with more running ability would, would step up and win the job from him, not because uh, he suddenly turns into a pumpkin, but because somebody else with a better skill set that fits the offense would, uh, you know, would step up and really take command of it. But instead – Nobody did. <laughs> nobody said that they were the starter. Except, I mean, God, the, the only person, the only quarterback whose stock went up really was Cam Miller. Yeah, to be honest, and honestly, Karan Taylor played, but we didn't see get to see much out of him, and he looked very raw. Honestly, I think Cam Miller might play over him if it came down to it, but I don't think we'll get that far down on our depth chart. To be honest. But I think it just goes back to show what we were talking about on our previous podcast, Steve, is that the quarterback battle does not actually start until Isaiah Williams is on campus. Yeah, I mean, that is now crystal clear if it wasn't before. And I was already on the camp of thinking that Isaiah Williams might likely be the starter heading into the season just because of how good of a fit he is for this offense and his electric running ability. And I can't imagine that even as a freshman – that he's going to be worse at throwing than our current quarterbacks were in that spring game. So I think he has a lot better shot than I thought he did going in of winning the job now after watching that spring game. But, and I already thought it was pretty high beforehand. So we'll have to see, but it's early. There's a lot of time to work and the quarterbacks of course could have just had a bad day and we're going to have to see how that develops, but it's a pretty big concern because that offense looked nothing like what we expected. And it looked a lot worse. It looked like, the offense last year ranked in the 70s in S&P, high 70s. That looked like an offense that's in the low 90s or 100s. Yeah, it's just not possible for me to believe that the defense, you know, is going to be like a top 25 defensive unit, and that's why the offense is struggling so much. It's not, the defense did it's look not a lot better. If I had to guess an S&P, that's a defense that would rank middle of the pack, you know, in the 70s, like the offense ranked last year. But a middle-of-the-pack 70s-ranked defense and a you know, 90s-ranked offense, the team that we saw in that spring game is not a bowl game, is not a bowl game team. It's not a six-win team. It's like yeah, a four-win team if that's how they're going to perform on the season. Now, there's a long time until the games actually start, and there's a lot of injuries on the offense, and there's new players coming in the fall that are going to make a big difference. But we yeah, I mean, what, 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 so well, what else do you think about the defensive backs? Do you think that it's also like you can pretty much put it in pen that Beeson is starting? Uh, we'll have to see, but Nate Hobbs looked fantastic. And I'm, I know I haven't been the most positive about Nate Hobbs, but defensive backs I feel great about. Safeties are still maybe a little bit shaky, but corner, Quan Martin and Nate Hobbs and then Marquez Beeson, that's great. You know, that's the best set of corners we've had in a long time. And the last thing I'll mention about a specific player is a Luke Ford, because I know we've talked a lot in this podcast about how we're going to use Luke Ford in this offense and what's going to be done with him. He only had two catches today, wasn't used much, 
But Luke Ford, he's so big and has great hands that anytime you want, it seems like there's five to seven yards he can just get you. Just throw it out to him and he'll get those yards. Now, do we have a quarterback that consistently make those throws? We'll see. Interesting enough, we actually split him out wide a lot, use him in the slot. What I liked a lot that I saw a few plays in, we ran trips to the right, a little bit more spread out from a normal triplets formation, but he was at the head of the triplets, the head of the trident, if you will. And using him there, he ran an out, got a nice little seven-yard out route catch. They also used him in bubble screens in there where his blocking can be fantastic. Just imagine, like, Luke Ford leading your bubble screen block. Like, that's awesome. So, He's shown pretty good hands, uh, and I guess that is a pretty good thing to, to, to have is – he seems like just the 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 guy that that you're gonna go to on like third and five. You know, your your get to the sticks, get the first down guy. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he can get his eligibility. Hopefully, but Luke Ford, we'll have to see. We didn't see much today. Hopefully, we can see more in the future. But overall, yeah, the offense only scoring first string offense only scoring three points. Okay, so let's start on the kickers. How long was that field goal? Kale Griffin. I don't think he had anything too long. To be honest, I just skipped over the kicks because, come on. Like, I have better things to do with my time <laughs> than watch the kicks in spring game. But keep. I don't think Kale Griffin missed. I think I'm fine with him being kicker. I don't have any concerns. Yeah, you disrespecting Bob Legashevsky and the legs. <laughs> they were punting with like nobody rushing. Only the long snapper and Blake Hayes were out there punting to a guy like to return it that caught it, and then it was always just a fair catch. It was hilarious. Well, okay, look. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Why did you not watch all of those? Because the ability like do you have any idea how substantial it would be if we showed the ability to fair catch every single punt? But I mean, anyway. that would be a significant improvement. Plus, then you take away all the noise and you just get to see pure leg skill. I'm not sure what your beef is with our leg players, but it definitely because sounds punting like is for cowards, Steve. From somebody that skips leg day. No, I don't skip leg day. I have super strong legs. I'm weak everywhere else, but strong legs, Steve. Legs feed the wolf, though. Well, then why didn't you enter the walk-on competition after uh, – um, What's his face? Epler I have left. strong legs, but I'm not flexible, so I can't kick far. But anyways, the offense was awful. And we talked about how I think that this offense could have a regress this year. Just because losing Nick Allegretti on offense flying could be a big loss. You're starting a young quarterback. Receivers look pretty bad. Like, it could be a regress. Hope that If that running game is not elite, top 10, top 15, 20 type of unit again, this offense might struggle a bit. So I hope that we can – Rod Smith's able to figure out more things and as people get healthy and as the offensive line continues to gel more that we can have a lot of these concerns go away. But right now, I'm coming out of this a, a lot more happy about the defense than I thought I'd be. Still not very confident, but I like some of what I saw. I like some of the jumps I saw from some key players. But offense, I'm, I'm like really, really concerned about some of the things now in offense. Yeah, we've been voicing our concern that the offense could be primed for a regression. And like, 
you know, I was hoping that we were, in fact, this was just completely baseless, but uh, this kind of just shows that, yeah, there, there's reason to be. It's real. The only thing that I can say is it's really hard to judge the running game because they were doing thud for first right. team, which is not full tackling. But at the same time, the offensive line wasn't opening the holes that we're used to seeing. But we weren't running Reggie Corbin as much as we usually would. It was a strange thing. And I think Rod Smith was also writing a lot of plays that were more designed of, well, let's run this to see what we can do with it. You know, more traditional drop back passing in a lot of ways. And if it was a real game, would we call the plays that he called? No, not at all. So we'll see when the rubber hits the road and as we hit, hit in the fall camp, if the offense can get back on track. But other than that, So essentially what you're saying is obligatory spring game complete. Yeah, man, it's over. So now I don't have to think about it again, hopefully. And this will just be one of those things we forget and not a sign of things to come. Well, there you have it. Essentially uh, a meaningless exhibition. Aren't they all? Isn't yep. Illinois ever isn't almost every Illinois football game since like twenty fifteen been a meaningless exhibition? Well, they're supposed to start counting this fall. Yeah. We'll and see. despite that, despite the lack of any meaningful games being played by Illinois here in the last couple of seasons, Illinois's been off to a great start in recruiting for the second straight year now, Steve. Like Illinois now has two blue chip recruits here early in the recruiting process. They had two last year and Isaiah Williams and Marquez Beeson. And now they have Jadon Thompson and Reggie Love along with Marcus Harper as 2020 recruits and Oluwale Bakutu Jr. as a grad transfer coming in from USC of two years of eligibility remaining. So some great recruiting start for Illinois. So despite the fact that there hasn't been much results at all in terms of the on-field the on-field progress, Lovey Smith and his staff of Cordy Patterson and now Mike Bellamy coming back, specifically those two, have been able to really sell the vision for, for the future to a lot of these young players that never would have considered Illinois in the first place. I so, just want to have a whole podcast of you reading our, our, our entire offer list of names. Oluwale is actually, I'm pretty sure you pronounce it. Yeah, that, that, one, that one's good. Uh, Don Thompson's not, that's fine. Who knows? Reggie Love? Yeah, I said Reggie Love wrong, Steve. Whatever, Marcus Harper. Uh, yeah, you did say Reggie Love wrong because you didn't say Reggie Love. You want to know something? That is a strong-ass name. God, yeah, I just... When I was a little kid, uh, Carlos had a player called Reggie Sanders, left fielder for him on the 2014. For a little bit after, I believe. But I called him Reggie because I couldn't say words right. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Love. Anyway... Yeah, Reginald Love, uh, running back out of Trinity Catholic, that pipeline continuing to pay dividends. And uh, this is a guy that could really be in every down back for, for us. I mean, he's, he's got a very he's, – he's good at a lot of different things. Illinois has a lot of running backs on the roster currently, like Nick Fidanzo, Kion Sims and then uh, Kyron Cumbie, but Kyron Cumbie might be a wide receiver. They have a lot of options potentially at running back Jakari Norwood, who we mentioned earlier in the standout players, but none of them seem to be like top level, every down feature back sort of potential. And Reggie Love definitely feels to be that. He's the number six Mert player in Missouri, a four-star, 22nd ranked running back overall, 338th prospect according to 247 Sports Composite. 
I feel like this is a guy that he'll come in his freshman year, he'll play a little bit, and by his <coughs> sophomore year, Mike Epstein Sr. probably in his sophomore year will be the 2020, the 2020 running back, and then 2021, it's Reggie Love. And that seems like great. A, sorry, what I like about how we're stacking the running back depth chart is that it, it seems like um, by continuing to pursue running backs aggressively, and Reggie Love is not – a speed back though he he is fast you know it's just like that's not all that he does he'll break but by getting players like reggie love right you can get some of our track star running backs and have them basically as slot receivers because i think that's what rod rod smith has has talked about doing that i think we'll see kyron cumby and uh jakari norwood i think potentially in the slot so reggie love great awesome to get him i think that he can be a good running back for us i hopefully He'll be able to come in, no problems, and out of Trinity, keep that pipeline going. We'll talk about more prospects from there later. Jadon Thompson's a wide receiver. We also got out of Chicago, Illinois, out of Marist. Fifth-ranked player in Illinois, four-star, 55th overall wide receiver. This guy's 6'2". He could be the outside receiver we need, which is the toughest things to find. There's outside receivers. You can find slot receivers easy. You can also move guys from running back to that position. But it's really the outside receivers that it's really been hard for Illinois to build depth in as of recently. And as you can see with our current wide receiver depth chart, position we really needed to hit on this year, and we got a player here early. It's been one of our principal complaints has been the receiver depth chart. It didn't really – I mean, you had the 2017 guys. Um, we didn't add one in 2018, did we? Not a scholarship guy anyway. Well, kind of uh, but slot. We we added one receiver in 2019, um, not really a highly sought-after dude. We had three at one point, but we spurned them after they decommitted, uh, and now they're in the MAC. Uh, and and so so we take those two years of recruiting, plus you know losing our second best receiving prospect from that 2017 class, losing our third best to defensive back for some reason. Uh, and then, I mean, this is an abs- basically this is an absolute coup compared to what we've been doing under Lovey at wide receiver. Um, it addresses one of the weakest parts of the – well, no, definitely the weakest part of the depth chart. Um, and another complaint that they addressed immediately, the first of these commits, was Marcus Harper at uh, guard because we've been complaining about how the offensive line depth chart? Well, to go back really quick to the spring game. So the offensive line, there is such a dramatic drop-off from the starters to everyone else. Jake Cerny was in for Viridian Low today, and you could tell that it was a pretty big weak spot for the offensive line. To be honest, besides the five starters, I'm not sure any of the other players on the team would start for a middling Mac program. I don't think our players would even start for a middling Mac team. And some of them are young, like, and they still need time to develop. So that's not, they think against them. But if our offensive line starts to pick up a few more injuries this year that we were able to keep them healthy last year, like we could be in for some trouble. And because of that, we needed to add more offensive line depth. And that's what Marcus Harper brings. This is the type of guy that Illinois has been missing out on for years. Uh, you know, a high three-star, you know, a top 10 player in the state, a really good player and prospect. But this is the sort of guy out of Chicago that would have been going to Wisconsin or Michigan State 
or Iowa in years past. And that's how those teams continually are decent and good. It's not the top-level prospects that Wisconsin brings in because they don't bring in that many. Or Iowa, same story. It's the consistent depth they can build at the lines by getting guys like a Marcus Harper to come in and develop them and build good line play. And Mark, you look at these starters that Wisconsin has on the line, Redshirt Sr., Redshirt Sr., Redshirt Jr. occasionally if guys overachieving. Um, and they just have the ability to do this every year. And the way that Illinois had to build their offensive line this last time, even though it turned out pretty good in year two, where they had a serviceable Big Ten unit, is not sustainable. Yeah, so it's – I mean, and, and by all accounts, you know, we've got several other offensive linemen interested. Offensive linemen recruits are saying good things about, about their visits to Illinois. It seems like Bob McLean, I mean, credit to him, came in as a bit of an unknown, um, got – that first commit from Marcus Harper, which, you know, significant and first ones are always the toughest. <laughs> yeah. So that, that could start. I mean, we, we could potentially restock our offensive line depth chart right here and, you know, get, I mean, cause Luke Butkus was not really a plus recruiter. I think that's putting it very kindly, Steve. I just flat out say Luke Butkus sucked as a recruiter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. We're out there then. He was almost a non-factor in recruiting. Like, he's the type of guy that probably belongs in the NFL because he doesn't like recruiting. Yeah. We brought him in, and he came to the university, credit to him because he's an alum and his last name, of course, being Butkus. And I think that he has a strong connection to the university, and he loves it, and he wants it to do well, but he just doesn't love being a college football coach. He'd much rather just focus on being an O-line coach. And he seems like a perfect guy to be in the pros. So he did a lot, a lot of credit to him for the work that was done to help develop some of these guys for them last year. Kendra Green, Doug Kramer, Alex Pauczewski, Viridian Lowe. But his recruiting just wasn't there. So hopefully Bob McLean can help fill out the hole. And so far it looks good so far with Marcus Harper. Last guy that is coming in is Oluwale Bakaitu Jr., He's a former five-star recruit out of USC who's grad transferring now to Illinois. He'll have two years of eligibility left, though, as a grad transfer and be able to play right away. This is a dude that when you just see him, you know, he's a first guy off the bus sort of dude, just huge, muscular, just the perfect physical specimen you could want. Issue is he never played much at USC. He only appeared in two games in two years. So he was never able to break through the depth chart at USC despite being a high-level recruit. So, and he had a hip surgery in the offseason as well. So the huge question is, can he turn his career now, around now at Illinois? Definitely a guy with the physical tools to pretty much be a starter immediately. Um, probably be the most built dude on our team, just seeing the dude. He's, uh, you know, you could go ahead and put, a, put an S in there and just call him Swally because he is jacked at – I mean, he's uh, – He's sculpted at 6'3", 260, which is a, a, a real big size for somebody to, you know, have, a, have such a nice-looking build. Yeah, but Wally, I'm not sure if he'll get the starting job because I still think we have a, a lot of other options we side defensive in. But I disagree with you there. I don't know. I mean, Owen Carney Jr., I think, could still make some noise. But regardless, he'll still be in the rotation. He's still probably a better option than some of the other players that we have. But it's a flyer you're taking of just, hey, this guy – supremely talented didn't get much of a chance at usc let's see if he can get something to go down here 
but this isn't bringing in Luke Ford. But regardless, still a pretty decent guy to go in. And as far as the other prospects that Illinois is starting to make some noise with that could be coming here soon, Trevon Sidney is another transfer out of USC that could graduate transfer with two years of eligibility remaining, same as Wally. And Trevon Sidney is a wide receiver, 5'11", more of a slot guy. In, but same story, he had two years at USC, really hasn't been able to break through the starting lineup, really hasn't been able to do much. But he could come to Illinois and probably potentially help and start right away along with Dejon Brissett, who's coming in as a grad, a grad transfer from Richmond. I don't know if he'll be good, but I'd rather have him out there than what we got. And it sounds like Illinois is trying to make some final moves to get him in. Yeah, that would make me feel so much better, especially with our batting average at transfer receivers lately. Um, I'd feel so much better about, I mean, just having having somebody that at one point was highly recruited. Our batting average with transfer receivers has been, you're more likely to not play at Illinois if you come in as a transfer receiver than ever see the field. Yeah. Uh, but as far as other recruits for 2020, obviously we got Mookie Cooper, as a uh, Cooper man, as soon as he decommitted from Texas, he was all about Illinois on social media, and pretty much everyone was thinking that okay, it's Illinois now. Luke he Cooper, said a couple of other things, but the vibe has always continued. To yeah, be but out of Trinity, you got Mookie Cooper, would be the best player out of this class we were possibly going to be able to get. Uh, he'd be a, almost a Rondale Moore style of impact, I think, from the start. You also have James Frenchie as a wide receiver out of Trinity and Jalen St. John. If Corey Patterson can somehow get all three of those, three of those guys plus Reggie Love to come to Illinois, like build Corey Patterson a goddamn statue. Like, because that oh, yeah. would be incredible. Don't forget, I mean, another immediate impact guy, AJ Henning, um, who's uh, another one of those receiver running back types. Uh, AJ Henning, I'm not as. The, Already bringing in Mookie Cooper, possibly. I th- when it comes down to James Frenchie, AJ Hayne, Mookie Cooper, and then there's also Zariah Beeson, who's a cousin of Barquez Beeson out of Bishop Dune there in Dallas. You're not. You might get one of those at most. If anything, you're going to get two, and if it's two, it's Mookie and James Frenchie probably with that Trinity connection. But if we get Mookie Cooper, I don't think AJ Henning will come. Or Zariah Beeson. Possibly maybe Zariah Beeson, because Zariah Beeson could also possibly be a guy who could switch to defensive back, but it will be tough to see bringing all of those guys in. But the fact that we're in contention with multiple wide receivers and it's not this guy or nobody situation that we're often in in recruiting as Illinois sports, it's not like recruiting John Gross point guards. The fact that we're even having this conversation after going 9-27 and is uh is phenomenal awesome. there's also denver warren a number six player in illinois I, denver warren's been recruited by you know michigan notre dame a bunch of decommitted from michigan decommitted from michigan but denver warren could be a defensive tackle guy to bring out there especially illinois needs some defensive tackle depth coming up here soon because of two seniors graduating three seniors graduating and then calvary will be a junior before you even know it you're going to need to build that depth there Kevon Billingsley is also out of St. Louis. There's been a lot of noise around him. He's a defensive tackle, also has O-line experience. Illinois is actually making a lot of noise in St. Louis and Chicago here early in recruiting, which is great to see, especially St. Louis because schools like Mizzou are not doing much there. It's kind of awesome to see Illinois take over that territory. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the other thing is that Mizzou just sucks, like, in every conceivable way. So the fact that Illinois has yet to really take advantage of the fact that Mizzou sucks in every conceivable measure, um, it's been a little irritating, but it's nice. I don't know if I say Mizzou sucks, man. I mean, they have the sanctions coming, but still. Everything sucks about Mizzou. Everything. (laughs) All right, Steve. (laughs) Last one we'll talk about that's kind of, this is the white whale of recruiting for me, but Antonio Johnson's a four-star safety out of East St. Louis. Oh, man, do we need safeties, and oh, man, is he good. And we need, uh, man, to get it. <laughs> There's been way less noise around him on social media as there has been with these other guys we've mentioned, but oh, my God. Get me into Yeah, to get it, especially to get such a high-profile player out of East St. Louis, because that we haven't really gotten anybody from there since, uh, what, like Terry Hawthorne? Yeah. Pretty much. Why do you think that Lovey Smith's been able to get these players and his staff, get these players interested and invested into a program that really hasn't shown much at all on the field yet? And he's doing it by selling a message that we've always believed about Illinois, that, hey, you can come here and be different, and you can come here and get time playing time right away and help build a program with those same messages, and it's actually finally working with kids. So what do you think is different about this staff that other past Illinois staffs besides Zook, early Zook, have been able to do? The staff that followed Zook, uh, basically, I mean, they they seemed really focused on Ohio to the detriment of many of the other recruiting areas. And they weren't – they didn't prioritize athletic prowess. You know, like we've we've gone after some guys in alignment that are just like – we valued being really big and strong – Above all else, we valued, you know, guys that have uh, world-class speed above all else. We've been really valuing uh, athletic skill much more so than did, uh, than did the Beckman regime. And then, I mean, I think that Rod Smith having an offensive game plan helps compared to Garrick McGee. It, it, it really, like, God, I just can't believe what an enormous detriment he seems to have been to our program. But that, you know, the other thing is that playing time is pretty self-evident if you watch Illinois play. And we do forget, I mean, it's going into year four, but he still did put out a pretty young team last year. A lot of underclassmen. You get the right people to sell it. You can definitely sell. Hey, look, we're still, we're still well underway in our renovation here. We've got room for we've got room to go up, and you can catch this train, you know, and it's it's definitely going places. So I think that we've we've done a good job of selling the potential that's still there because said train hasn't yet crashed. Not that it will, but if it if it did, it hasn't done so yet. Yeah, despite I mean, you and I both wanted Levy Smith gone, and despite that he's still able to just keep rolling on for career. I think it's just the true belief, the authentic true belief. That's not just BS of like, Oh, we think we're moving in a positive direction that every coach would give you, but the true belief that Lovey and the staff and Josh Whitman and the entire program actually exude in, about everything going on. I think they've really been able to get that message out to kids. And I think it's really been great to see. And maybe there is hope for Levy Smith after all now, despite what we said, like we might be legitimately, if we can get to a bowl game this year, 
we might legit with the recruiting for these last two years, we might be legitimately on our way to building a program, like a sustainable actual football team, Steve. I, what I've said is this, you know, the, the program the, that, that wins somewhere between I don't five know. and eight games a year, it's, it, it could land and it is six wins away. If we win six games this year, it, I, I think it's coming. It's six wins away. We've got to get them. But if how he looked in that spring game, Lovey needs to show something here in the fall. Yeah, because six wins kind of looks monumental, monolithic, enormous right now. But if we get to that mountaintop, oh, man, Steve. Like, everything we said could just be eating all the crow that we ever could, and Lovey Smith could make us eat our words, but he could also deliver us the football team and program we actually ever wanted. Maybe our ceiling won't ever be that high under under Lovey, but I'll take being miniature Iowa. <laughs> or I Iowa don't light. care about our ceiling as long as our floor is five games. I just want to be okay. But we might be so close. Legitimately, this recruiting could not be going better than, has, than how it has been. I can't emphasize that enough. We're getting interest from top guys, genuine, actual interest. We have that five-star offensive lineman from Georgia coming to visit. Because I don't like entertaining flights of fancy, I don't even remember his name. But, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation. The fact that we're talking about, oh, Mookie Cooper, A.J. Henning, James Frenchie, those are three four-star wide receivers. Uh, To to add to uh, Jadon Thompson, (laughs) who we already have on board. Like, this is fantastic it really is and you know, this is one of those things that's unique about being in illinois and fan. all i can say is maybe josh maybe josh whitman made the right choice and he knew a lot more information than we did about keeping levy around and he knew that there was momentum building especially on the recruiting front but now we're gonna have to see so levy's figured out the recruiting front pretty well and i think he's done a better job than anyone since early time zook did in recruiting for illinois we're not close to that level but still this is great recruiting that we haven't seen in a long time here but and the unique can he do it on the field the unique thing about being an illinois fan is that if we should get to that sixth win right i mean pretty sure we're gonna party harder than ohio state did when they won the national title a few years back remember but remember back to the 08 and 09 teams remember how talented those teams were how many nfl players were on those teams in 2008, we go 5-7. and seven. In 2009, we're 3-9. and nine. With all that talent everywhere, just NFL players galore, a top 40 roster delivering bottom 40 results. And is that going to be the same story I have with Smith if he can't figure out how to fix this defense, if this offense regresses? Well, are we going to like build a more talented roster but just not be able to deliver the results? Like At some point... All the hope is great. The recruiting's great. The hype. But some, at some point, the games actually matter. And the results on the field actually mean something. That point is this fall. And we're really going to have to see it. But if Lovey only wins four games this year, he might really be close to getting – that might be close to the hot seat time. If he wins what do you five, mean? He's not in the hot seat right now, as far as I'm concerned. But if he only wins, two, to win some games. If he only wins four games, if he wins five, we'll see. Six, it's we're, we're partying. But it right now, with how that team looked in the spring game, and it's the current outlook of the roster, that six win, it seems like it should be so easy. You have those three basically scheduled wins, 
and then you have Rutgers at home find two other Big Ten wins. It seems so easy, but yet it seems so far away at the same time. But, oh, man, Steve, seriously. That's the thing we, about four wins, though. I mean, we might be one six-win season, one mediocre season away from actually being a real football program. And that's the thing about four wins, though, is that you've got three teams – well, two of those teams, uh, Akron and Eastern Michigan, that aren't – you know, that are losing a lot of important productions – production from teams that weren't very good and of course you have UConn which put up a defense that was substantially worse than ours last year which I mean I didn't think was possible but actually was so you win those three games and then you beat Rutgers and that's all that you do you've got upperclassmen now we need to do more we, we can't just win those this three is, games yeah, this at is Rutgers. no longer the story of a young team building we need to see something now well, yeah, it's time to turn the corner, and you know, but at the very least, the that corner something, is coming up. If we do see that something, we might be there. The corner is coming up. The question remains whether we whether we're prepared for it or not. The question remains: Are we going to swing out wide and turn in, or are we just going to uh, run straight off the track into a tree and die? There's a very possibility of a very bad season coming up, but there's also possibility that it isn't, and. Oh my! I'm already so nervous about all these games. But yep, the payoff oh. happens, man. We've been waiting for football season for four years. I'm like, I'm like legitimately almost tearing up with how nervous I am. Oh my god! We've been waiting for football season for so many years now. We're it's going to be football season this fall, and the quarterbacks just made us really not excited. Well, not Hold really me. not excited, but more nervous than, antici- you know, than anticipatory. Hold me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But with that being said, I think that's time for us to transition <laughs> seamlessly into talking about Brad Underwood in basketball. Oh, man. So for those of you who didn't know, uh, on Friday, there was a release from the University of Illinois Division of Intercollegiate Athletics on the website about an investigation that took place about Brad Underwood's basketball program in September of 2018, a month-long investigation that occurred after some allegations of mistreatment by a former player. Uh, quotes from the article is the review conducted prior to the 2018-19 season confirmed that Underwood's coaching style, while intense and challenging, was not abusive, are in violation of applicable university or DIA policies. Basically, there's just issues of mistreatment that a former player who most people are assuming is Mark Smith, which is, I think, almost confirmed by just process of elimination. And what was found in the review and what Josh Whitman talked about with Brad is his use of language was bad. Quote from Whitman is the focus of my conversations with Brad his first season was his need for improvement and his use of language and his interactions with student athletes. I've always impressed with Brad's willingness to self-reflect and his interest in personal improvement. And our discussions again showed his commitment in these areas. So now the University of Illinois was not going to release any of this publicly except for that the News Gazette was tipped off about this from Julie Worth, and they FOIA request from the University of Illinois about this. And they were able to find, the News Gazette were, that some of the allegations against Underwood raised after the 2017-18 basketball season 
were uh, verbal abuse, racial harassment, and the punitive use of physical activity. And that was with a treadmill, I believe, just like punching players of physical training or whatever you want to say. And a couple of professors, Michael Leroy and Michael Raycraft, University of Illinois, who serve on the athletic board, heard similar allegations from the player and communicated, wrote a memo to Chancellor Robert Jones and Josh Whitman about these allegations. And Raycraft and Leroy are not... Who's the guy's name, Steve? Jay Rosenstein. No, 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 no. The professor, Kaufman. They're not Kaufman-type professors. They're not crazy. Or is it... You know, they're pretty low. They're not going to follow Chief Linowick into the bathroom. But in their memo, they discussed that they found the information credible and disturbing, was the direct quote. And they were reminded of parallels to the Tim Beckman scandal that ended in his firing, and they wanted to have a more thorough investigation done. The university did not do this investigation, saying that they had all done exit interviews, the players who left, and didn't bring anything up in those interviews. So the university kind of just, we had these allegations, we investigated, we found no wrongdoing. We talked to Whitman, uh, Brad Underwood about his use of language, and we're moving on. So when you look at those specific claims, verbal abuse, a fairly common thing. It's hard to, to know what the degree of that is. He's a college basketball coach. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's just shouting some MFs at people. Uh, then, of course, you've got Mark Mangino. Um, that's a little bit different, right? Yeah, you know? but we all know that Brad Underwood had issues. You can just, anyone with an earshot with him at a game. But most coaches have issues. Tom Izzo had that huge thing at the NCAA tournament about yelling at a player. Like, I'm not that concerned about that. You'd find, if you investigate any program thoroughly, almost any program, I'd say, in college basketball, you'd find, yeah, verbal harassment or punitive physical punishment. You'd find those things, except for if you're like, you know, Tony Bennett. <laughs> yep, go run some laps. Um, but racial harassment, that's one of those things that's really hard to substantiate or prove or anything like that. And it's a thing where, you know, sometimes there's a lot of subtext. Uh, you know, you'd need to... It's a tricky area, there. but it's not one you could ever actually fully prove. Because even Matt Bolant, who had way more players alleging those sort of actions against him, the former Illinois women's basketball coach, that was never actually substantiated either. But medical mismanagement. Now, there is a very serious charge... Um, because that's, that's the one that, you know, you're, you're taking people's livelihoods into your hand and it doesn't seem that they actually found anything that you could compare to the Tim Beckman medical mismanagement, which is very comforting. What I will say is that Mark Smith did get a surgery when he went to transfer to Mizzou soon after leaving Illinois. (laughs) Oh God. But I just want to say, like, I don't think there's anything in this that should be, like, hugely, oh, my God, concerning. But the fact that you had to do an investigation still is notable. And the fact that Whitman did talk with Underwood about his use of language and treatment of players with his language, like, that, that's a big thing to be aware of and a big thing moving forward. But this isn't, like, any dramatic action. This isn't anything to really be worried about. 
I don't think Illinois fans should be, oh man, Mark Smith's just a baby because you don't, even if it was Mark Smith, because we don't know the exact specifics of the situation. And yes, former players, current and former players are all backing Brad Underwood now. Greg Bobadine had a tweet, Trent Frazier, Ayo DeSumo, Aaron Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, all had positive things to say about it. But just because you treat those players well and they love and respect you, it doesn't mean that one player couldn't take what you were doing as being, you know, abusive. Yeah, the um, I mean, the upshot of this is, yeah, even if nothing really comes from it, it's a data point that's going to make that's going to subject him to more scrutiny, you know, closer scrutiny than than uh, a coach would get not having had this investigation. And also, you know, when you've got the worst winning percentage of any coach to ever coach at Illinois for more than one season, you'd ideally you'd be generating nothing but positive headlines outside of basketball games. Yeah, I think this just – if this didn't remind people of the Tim Beckman and Matt Ballot stuff, it wouldn't be as, like, oh, man, sort of feeling as it is. But I don't think there's anything bad about this. But what I will say, say in two or three years that another allegation comes out and they have to do another investigation – we're going to look back at this moment and be like, why didn't Josh Whitman interview those former players who left to try to dig into this more? Why didn't the university do a more thorough, independent investigation of these claims? And that could look really bad on them. Yeah, if there was whatever cause for concern there was, uh, I, I hope these clean up is act to the point where we're not going to be asking these questions down the road because, you know, Best case scenario, if if uh, problematic behavior continues, is that we, in, you know, is that we have another investigation and the heat ends up compelling us to fire him. That's a best case scenario because the worst case could be that we're we're burying stuff, we're covering up shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as of now, nothing that's been reported has been like anything that you wouldn't have expected that you were told right. that was happening at any college basketball program. I really right. hope it's just it's a it's a it's a strike, you know. It's 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 cause for concern, but it's I, also it's not going to go away. Yeah, it's just going to linger there, and it might in a few years we might forget all about it in a few months. But it if something happens in the future, we might look back on this and like, well, why the why didn't the university do a more thorough investigation? But the most troubling thing to me is that the university just tried to sweep this completely under the rug which is understandable because you want to keep some things confidential as you can, especially when it involves like players and privacy issues. But if it wasn't for Julie Worth being tipped off and who knows if it was the former players family who made the complaint or one of those two professors that made the memo who tipped her off. But if it wasn't for that and her reporting, we wouldn't have never heard about this. So props to Julie Worth for doing a great job. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have anything to add on top of that. I just really hope that, um, this Until is, we have more data, there's nothing you can really say. Yeah, I really hope this is the end of this. Is all I can say. All there. I can say now is Illinois basketball is getting Kofi Cockburn in next year, and it's looking like they might be have a team finally to hopefully make a tournament run again for the first time since Jesus Christ. When's the last time we made the tournament? 2012-13. Oh my lord. He's gonna have to coach. Give me to a goddamn bowl game in an NCAA tournament. I just want to be a normal fan again. He's gonna have to 
coach here for at least five total years in order to take us to more NCAA tournaments than investigations he's been involved in at Illinois. You'd like that ratio to be higher, ideally. <laughs> Let's just win some games. I'm starting to feel good about it, though. Well, in, in the immortal words of uh, former Broncos head coach Josh McDaniels, all we're trying to do is win a motherfucking game. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't quite do it as squeaky and voice cracky as he did, but yep, yelling at Kyle Orton as though that's going to do anything. That'll do it for us today. My name is Brandon Burkhead. That is Steve Thumpasaurus Braun. Thanks a lot for listening. You can follow the TCR podcast at TCR pod underscore podcast. Oski Talk will be around here later this Thursday, hopefully for a new episode. We'll be back soon with some more summer content that we have planned for you all. Thanks a lot for listening. Please rate and review if you'd like. Keep reading the Champagne Room and buy some Fourth and Kirby shirts. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram and uh, and Snapchat and Facebook and all, all, that, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time. Yada, yada, yada. To the three people still listening, thank you. <laughs> Have a good day.